Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Hello there and welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast with you every Friday morning with your favourite podcasting app or of course Friday evenings with RTE Radio. Our show this week is brought to you in association with Agile Networks and we'll be hearing from them later about the shocking number of Irish businesses integrating AI artificial intelligence into their business operations. My name is Dusty Rhodes. You're welcome to show number 939. And joining me as always is Niall Kitson. Uh, I'm looking at our little show notes and um, I, I love the first headline. Big Mouth Strikes Again. Yeah, I was, <laughs> who, I was getting my tech, snits on. Who in tech is Big Mouth now? Let me see. Oh, hang on, I'll tweet it. <laughs> Go on. What's, what's Elon what been up you, to? I see what you did there. I see yeah, what you yeah. did there. He's been doing a few things, actually. Well, one of which you're probably more uh, enthused about than I am. Uh, actually, the, the, there's probably one that we're like, yeah, of course. And one that's like, oh, but a but. <laughs> <laughs> um, Two big stories. Will we go with the we go with the Twitter one first, and then get yeah, on to the more the interesting one. one in a second. The, the Twitter deal is back on. Apparently, uh, this was after uh, sorting out the timeline. You might remember somebody tweeted Elon Musk about Twitter not being great, and Elon said, "Maybe I should buy it. Should I buy it?" And he put out a, a poll. If memory serves, uh, people said yes. He went on to buy five percent of the company outright. Um, he was offered a seat at the uh, board table, um, uh, an offer that was promptly rescinded. Um, he made an offer of $44 billion for the company, uh, lock stock. Um, and uh, the board eventually, there was a few, sh- a few motions in between, but eventually said, yeah, okay. So filings were made with the SEC. Uh, so there is paperwork involved in this. Um, and... Elon decided, actually, do you know what? I don't, I don't want this. Um, I don't, I don't want it. Uh, to which the Twitter board said, aha, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. We have filings. We have an agreement in place. Everybody voted on this, 44 billion. Mm. Uh, and Musk said, well, did, do you know what? You guys, you guys aren't reliable. There are far too many bots on your platform. You're telling me there's 5% of accounts on Twitter are bots. I know better. I think it's probably closer to 15% and uh, you got to prove it. You got to prove that your your bot problem is under control. Um, Twitch Twitter went, okay, well, look, this is is how we do it. And now it was all due to go to court. Um, Twitter taking Elon Musk to court in the court of Delaware um, saying, look, you made an offer. It's been passed. There are filings. Um, you have to buy the company for 44 billion. And there is a, a break clause that if the transaction doesn't um, doesn't go through, uh, it would cost one billion dollars for nothing, just for deciding he doesn't want to do it. So uh, he has said, okay, right, I'm gonna buy, I'm gonna buy the company, but this is ahead of depositions, which was to take this place this week, where Elon Musk would be um uh questioned under oath about everything to do with his his twitter bid uh, which could potentially have raised some fairly um sensitive or embarrassing information uh about him 
So he's decided that rather than go through uh, that process, he'll just buy the company uh, through a mix of sort of debt and some of his own money as well, but largely debt, uh, to which his actual companies, Tesla and SpaceX, are not happy. Uh, Tesla in particular, the, you might remember the share price mm. uh, took a bit of a hammering um, mm. after Musk announced that uh, the deal was, was going to happen. So he's going to be stuck with a social network that he really doesn't want. Um, his whole thing is, you know, I'm a free speech absolutist, which is code for I can say whatever I want uh, and I know nothing will ever get back to me because I'm an extremely well-protected white man. Uh, so, of course, he's going to say he's a free speech absolutist. Um, well, my, my my reading on this story is that we've had Elon uh, give out about Twitter and then say he's going to buy it and then say maybe I won't and then I will and then he made the actual offer and then he kind of went no I'm not going to buy it I mean it's, this guy thinks he's in pennies you know what I mean <laughs> I, I got this last week and I you know it doesn't fit I haven't worn it around like that so I'll just take my money back um, you know you can't do that however that that whole Twitter thing I don't know if it's going to happen yet it could still be a case where he, he'll, he'll pull out yet again so, well the funny you know, thing is as of as of us recording right now the mm. judge that was due to hear the case said, well, the case is, case is still going ahead as far as I'm concerned. Nobody has actually approached the court to say they don't want to proceed with the trial. So as of you know this conversation, it's still going ahead, despite both sides saying, ah, no, we won't, we won't proceed. And Musk's camp saying, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll buy it outright. That will, that will sort everything out. Now, I'll tell you the thing that I really don't like about this entire Twitter debacle is that it is just a sideshow and it is taken away completely from a lot of the other, I think, brilliant things that Elon Musk are doing. I mean, Tesla is, you know, let's say a successful uh, motoring company because the cars are being sold all over the world besides the ups and downs of the share price and stuff like that. So Tesla is fantastic. Uh, what he's doing with uh, uh, sending uh, satellites up into space uh, all that kind of side of things is just like amazing, I think. Uh, and now this week he has been out with his team and he has actually been, it's funny because we were doing a podcast this week about uh, how sci-fi movies are now becoming reality. And then Elon Musk stands up on stage and goes, hey, guess what? We've got a robot that, that looks like it came straight out of the iRobot movie. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know about the design on these things, but what I find hilarious about um, about Tesla's um, uh, robotics, uh, what would you call it, project, uh, Optimus, is that, you know, we're all expecting it to be like that Justin Timberlake video where they wheel out the robot and Justin's got his like remote control suit on and he starts dancing and the robot starts dancing. This is what we're, this is what's still in our head. And this thing comes out and it's, it's like practically rolled out. Um, you can do a few very basic things to sort of manipulate whatnots. Um, he's barely mobile at all. Um, and what we were shown last Friday was basically uh, just sort of gubbins like some inside stuff. Here's some cabling. Uh, here's some stuff that we're using that's pretty much off the shelf. Here's some stuff that we're using that's, you know, what we're using in our Tesla cars at the moment. Uh, we've just applied them to a robot. I mean, bear in mind that like last year we had a guy in a suit um, and they were like, this is what it's going to look like on the outside. So this time we got a look at what it's going to 
sort of look like on the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, but we still don't have the have any uh, evidence of performance. I mean, if you look at what companies like Boston Dynamics do um, with their, you might remember it's it's dog robot for for carrying packs for the military. I mean, that stuff is incredible. Um, whereas what they're what Tesla has done here is just kind of eh, eh. Mm. it's. Well, I like it because I I I can understand you being very skeptical because of what they showed. If you were to be told, okay, do you want to buy one? It's twenty grand. Of course, you're going to go. Ugh. But what I see is the potential. Yeah, and if that's what they're able to do now, what will they have in ten years' time? That's that's what you got to think. If that's what that is now, what will they have in ten years' time? Yeah, we see. I I think an awful lot of well, an awful lot. I think. Tesla is falling into the trap of thinking that, you know, their best, best robotics, best robots are the ones that are going to look like us. It's not necessarily the case at all. I mean, if you have a robot that is programmed to do the dishes, let's take something very mundane, right? Mm -hmm. Do you want it to look like a person and then just have the arms motorized for doing the dishes? I will give you, I will give you a real life example. If you wanted a robot to do the hoovering, would you make it look like a hoover? No, Roomba doesn't look like a hoover. It looks like a Exactly. I rest my case because they all, they're all this circular shape. Uh, And, and you're right. Um, But what I did like about looking at that robot was that that was just, and the same with Boston as well. Just the balance. A machine is balancing itself. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? On two legs. And that's, you know, whatever. It, anyway, I, I was impressed and I was thinking 10 years down the line, what are we going to have? That's the way I was looking at it. You were looking at it going, I'm not impressed. I'm not buying it. Uh, do, do you know what? If if 10 years down the line, just, just watch that show Humans on Channel 4. That'll answer you that question. <laughs> all right, okay. Let's not even go there. All right, let's, let's wrap it up <laughs> right there on the news for this week. Uh, do remember, you get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more, which you grab at our website, techcentral.ie. And of course, uh, you'll grab all the latest uh, chat with ourselves on the podcast every Friday. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. Now, speaking of robots in a way, artificial intelligence is part of the international discourse when it comes to emerging technologies, but not everyone is as enthusiastic about using it. A recent tech beat study in association with Agile Networks has found that half of companies are still to integrate AI into their business operations. Sean Nolan is Business Development Manager at Agile Networks, and he spoke with Niall Kitson about a future where networks can effectively manage themselves. Sean, before we get going in our conversation, I suppose it's important to get a few terms out of the way and also a statistic that I thought was pretty telling uh, in the recent Agile Networks report. Um, And that was 47% of companies aren't using AI in any sense uh, at all. So when we're talking about AI, I mean, there's a couple of things that seem to fall under this umbrella term. So maybe we'll dig down into exactly what we're talking about, but also how they're managed as well and whether AI is just being seen as part of you know something a company does or part of, say, a department or a longer term strategy. 
Yeah, I think you're. I think you're right, Niall. And, and I think as we go through this, we're probably going to use some of those terms interchangeably. So I think the fundamental, um, the fundamental. Uh, thing we're talking about here is effectively a machine making a decision or carrying out an, an action on another machine or a device. So um, within Agile Networks, we're very focused on the networking space. We focus very much on, you know, the the um, the, the, the core of, uh, of networking within organizations. Um, we tend not to kind of deal with, the, with, with stuff outside of, you know, what would be your traditional routing, switching, Wi-Fi security. So a lot of what I'm going to talk about is is relative to networks so the the definition of ai for us really is that it's a non-human um technology effectively making decisions around either programming network devices or controlling network devices or configuring network devices so i think that 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 kind of has other um, uh, other connotations in other sectors, but I think for the context of what we're talking about today, we we'll probably use them interchangeably. So there's AI, which is obviously everybody knows as artific- artificial intelligence. We also are going to talk about AI ops, which is artificial intelligence in in operations. So that's effectively um, you know machine technology uh, making decisions for for network operations. Uh, there's also automation, which again is a similar idea where you're allowing um, software to make decisions on behalf of of, uh, of a network administrator. Uh, so there's lots of different kind of phraseology and terminology. But I think it all kind of boils back down to um, to the same thing, which is effectively non-human intervention in 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 the context of networks for what we're talking about today. So that's the um, that's the, the the definition side of things. And, and like I said, we probably kind of jump between some of these terminologies and use them freely and interchangeably. Um, but that's I hope that kind of summarizes it for, for most people. That's the kind of definitions that we've been working with. Yeah, because uh, as we know, sort of net- networking traditionally seen as being sort of a, a heavy industry, completely reliant on cabling, switchers, routers, not the most mm-hmm. dynamic or interesting of, uh, of equipment, but also with long term, very complicated projects that can take weeks, sometimes months to, to realize. But introducing artificial intelligence really is proving to be a, a game changer for the industry as a whole, taking a lot of functions out of the domain of, you know, for want of a better term, physical labor uh, and automating them. So just take me through how AI is changing the nature of these very heavy, traditionally very difficult projects. Yeah, I, I think we've a, a really, really good um, real life example uh, where we did a, a project recently for for a third level uh, university. Um, the, the the current way of, of deploying networks is to use a fabric overlay. Again, that's a very technical term for effectively configuring a way of making all the network switches talk together. Okay. Um, when we did this project maybe about two years ago, uh, one of our network engineers, one of our most senior network engineers, probably took between 40 and 50 days to complete the project. Um, about 12 months later, we went through a similar project where we were able to use a um, a product which effectively used machine learning and AI to configure the entire network for us. Um, the entire process of clicking and, and pointing and clicking using a mouse took around about 40 minutes. The deployment took, you know, maybe a couple of hours after that. Um, so the, the entire body of work that did take 40, 50 days 
two, three years ago is now only taking a matter of hours. Now, that's not to say that we'd let that run wild and free without doing some significant testing and making sure that it's all working correctly. But the principle is there. What used to take days and days and days of of, uh, complex uh, network configuration is now taking a matter of, of minutes and hours using a um, using you know machine learning and AI and tools that that are now available to us that just weren't there a couple of years ago. And this kind of changes the nature of the skill set that you're looking for from people as well. I imagine as we, totally. we move away from from heavy industry. Yeah, totally. I mean, look, networking has never been the most attractive um, part of the IT stack in any organization. Um, if if, uh, if you look at kind of graduates coming out of college, none of them ever really want to say, I want to be in, in, a, in a heavy networking organization. Most of them want to say they work, want to work on the next FIFA 23 or modern warfare. So I think we've always had a challenge there to try and identify the right skill set. It's always been a challenge within networking. Um, From the day we founded Agile Networks, I think it's been our most significant challenge is finding good people, finding um, good engineers and and holding on to them. It's been a a real challenge in in the Irish marketplace particularly. So I think that that, um, you are right, though. That skill set is, is changing somewhat from, you know, a very, very heavy kind of um, uh, understanding of network topologies and routing, switching, the IP stack, the OSI layer, all of these things that make up the fundamentals of network configuration um, to something probably a little bit more aligned closely to computer science or programming or, or um, somebody coming out with a computer science degree rather than an engineering degree. So yet there is an absolute um, shift in, in in the industry, but it's not just unique to our industry. You can take the motor trade, um, the, the, the need for mechanics that can do oil filter changes is no longer there for electric vehicles. You know, electric vehicles are not getting a service anymore. They're getting a software update. So I think we're not unique in that, that this is a, this is something that is, is, is changing a lot of traditional industries. And I think that um, we have uh, we've challenges there to identify. You know, a really simple ask: Is it easy to take a net, is it easier to take a network engineer and and you know teach them coding and, and software uh, software development, or is it easier to take a software developer and teach them the networking side of things? No right answer there. By the way, it's 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 about trying to find the right individual that that uh, that will fit within your organisation and and uh, have the ability to develop the skills themselves. I think so. It's it's but it's always been a challenge. Always been a challenge. Part of the issue, perhaps, is um, looking at the nature of the tasks people will expect to perform. Uh, I mean, if you're dealing with somebody that's an engineer, they're expecting to be on site. They're expecting to get their their hands dirty. If you're dealing with a developer, they're expecting to do things remotely uh, and not worry so much about physical infrastructure. Where does AI fit into this? Is is this going to you know free up people to design better networks or are we coming to a place where ai will be able to identify and even rectify problems with uh, with a network you absolutely hit the nail on the head now i mean it, there's a whole raft of use cases for for ai here so obviously you've got the the network operations we've got organizations that are trying to automate the interaction between a a, a user and a help desk um 
We've got uh, organizations that are um, looking at uh, improving their network security and providing an automated response to a security incident. That's that's a really interesting one. Like in a lot of organizations, there isn't a 24 by 7 operation. So people go home at, at, at uh, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock in the evening, and everything continues to work. The network stays up for 24-7. Um, so if there's some form of security incident out of hours, using machines to detect that and take a course of action to stop that either spreading or developing is one of those fantastic use cases for, for, for AI and, and uh, automation. Um, another one is, is consistency around configuration. If you've got to roll out 2,000, 3,000 uh, network devices, what you want is um, no human error in that you want consistency of your configuration across your devices. That's another great use case for 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 AI. But but actually, now I, I think this comes back to one of the other questions that came out in our survey. Is one of the biggest challenges to any organisation um, adopting AI and even kind of going down on the journey of looking where AI can help their organisation is um, is not knowing where to start. And that has been one of the significant challenges we found with organisations is everybody's busy. You know, nobody has a surplus of engineers sitting there waiting to work on something that, 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 uh, um, that, that comes along. So uh, trying to find that opportunity to, um, to give an organization a, a kind of a start or a, a leg up, or even I know within Agile Networks, we have a, a process for, for a kind of a workshop type engagement where we sit down with organizations for a couple of hours and try and help design um, a path or a roadmap for how potentially an AI project could kick off in an organization. Sometimes that's the, the starting point. Uh, it's just trying to understand where the low-hanging fruit is, where the, the easy, quick wins are to try and help an organization get engaged. There is the element of the, the hamster wheel here that sometimes you're just too busy running on the hamster wheel to take a step back and go, I could automate that bit and take away a certain percentage of my, my daily workload to free myself up to look at more strategic um, you know, higher value or, or higher um, higher strategic value projects. If I wasn't, you know, stuck in the day to day stuff of, of of dealing with uh, you know the more mundane tasks that could potentially be uh, automated. So I think that, that that's one thing that we've noticed is um, if and, and it came out in in the survey there uh, that the barriers to adoption, knowing where to start. I think fifty percent of organisations just don't even know where to start uh, with this. So I think that's one of the things that we're trying to address in the marketplace is, is offer a, um, a a tried and trusted methodology for kicking off an AI engagement or an AI project just to help an organization know where to start. And you know what, even if you identify the projects, put them forward to the business, whether you kind of kick on with that or not, or decide to choose that project or not, um, at least the groundwork has been done in knowing that if we uh, start an AI project or if we, you know, we know where to start or we know where to begin and we know where our low hanging fruit is. We know what the value proposition is. If I automate this particular piece of the process, we'll save X amount of time, money, effort. And um, so it, it's, it's a worthwhile um, exercise to, to start there just to understand what, where AI could really make a difference to an organization. On that subject there of, of, kind of going with the tried and trusted because people are so busy. Uh, what do you think the challenges are for vendors? Do you think it has been a case of, look, business has always been the way it is and it's doing very well for us. Maybe we don't need to innovate so much in this space. Uh, have you seen that much? Uh, 
Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think we've seen both. I think we've seen organizations that have really tried to push the envelope and push the boundaries of how this technology can be adopted. Um, And then I think we've seen, um, you know, networks don't tend to change. Networks tend to be quite robust. And once they're deployed, people have, have I suppose, a, a tendency not to want to go anywhere near it again. That's not really how how things are working in these days. So I think you've got you've got all end you've got pretty much either end of the spectrum there, and and I think most organisations are just somewhere on that spectrum of of whether you're you're rooted in the network is in it's been deployed don't touch it to all the way to you know we want to innovate. Um, I'll give you a great example. Um, we know of a, a manufacturer of uh, help desk software based in Europe. Their target is to use AI to automate every single service ticket that comes in. So that's not just networking tickets like my Wi-Fi isn't working. It's not just, you know, uh, the printer isn't working, standard desktop kind of stuff. They're looking to automate absolutely every single uh, form of IT uh, support operation. They're using that via chatbot. So somebody just engages with the, the IT help desk through a chatbot saying I can't connect to the Wi-Fi and the network is is effectively able to help that user through the process of getting connected to the network. These are the type of innovations that are really, um, I suppose, a, a, a real attractive element to why an organization would go down this route uh, because that's your you know, for some people, that's your that's your 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 utopia. Could we completely automate an IT an IT support function within an organization? Imagine what you could do with the resources. If they weren't dealing with the, the day-to-day tickets that come into an organization. So I think there's the, one of the challenges we have, I think, is explaining to organizations the possibilities um, and making them familiar with where this journey could end up. Uh, I think that's that's one of the the, um, the 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 more interesting parts of tailoring that conversation to the organization that we're dealing with. And I think it's a it's it, it whets people's appetite for moving away from that traditional view of the network's in, don't touch it, to here's what here's what you could, you know, here's what it could look like. And then from a vendor perspective, then if you if you're looking at that sort of entrenched view of network is there, network is fine, why bother innovating? Uh, do you see any particular disruptive players in that space? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I think there's a couple of different ways um, that this is this is coming at us, right? So there are off-the-shelf products and, and vendors who are making um, off-the-shelf products. Like uh, Juniper Networks is one of the uh, is one of the leaders here. They're now um, giving us network products that are natively built from the ground up to be controlled and programmed and managed by uh, effectively a machine. So they're giving us the, 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 the effectively the controlling engine, the AI engine to manage wired and wireless networks and firewalls. So you can, you can choose to kind of come at it from a, you know, an off the shelf perspective. And you can also choose to come at it from a more, um, more engineering and, and creative and, and uh, a perspective. And, and we're engaged with a, a, an organization called Red Hat. Uh, they make a product called Ansible, which will effectively allow um, you know, a, a programmer, a developer to create um, software and control 
any, pretty much any IT uh, device that has an API. And that can be servers, PCs, printers, uh, network switches, you know, Wi-Fi systems, as long as the API is programmable. Um, so you've got, you've got two ways of doing it. There's the kind of the, the, the off-the-shelf product, and then you've got the kind of the, the that's engineered and crafted ourselves from the ground up products. So there's a couple of different ways we can come at it. But you are absolutely right. Uh, neither Red Hat nor Juniper Networks would um, would uh, be seen as a, a market leader if we were using something like um, uh, Gartner's uh, Magic Quadrant. Um, that it's been turned on its head. You have Juniper Networks going from a new entrant uh, in the wired and wireless space three years ago, being in the bottom left-hand corner of the Gartner Magic Quadrant, to being now the out-and-out leader in, in, in three years. I mean, that's never happened in, you know, in the lifetime of the Gartner Magic Quadrant. So you absolutely have new entrants and new players here that are going to disrupt. And actually, the traditional vendors, uh, I think, are going to struggle here because the, the, the way these systems are built... Um, it's not really built by engineers. It's built by data scientists. You know, the machine that's actually going to manage this stuff for you, uh, it's, it's secret sauce is data. And the data scientists look for inputs and outputs. They don't care that this is a network switch or a Wi-Fi controller or a firewall. Data scientists are looking for test data, which is data in and then the appropriate response from the machine, uh, from the AI engine out in terms of a set of actions. Okay. The, the guys that have been working on this stuff for years have a head start because they just have the terabytes of data, of use case data, which means they're going to be in a much, much better place than a traditional vendor who probably hasn't really started on this journey or is maybe only kind of picking the ball up now and running with it. Um, so I think you are going to see some significant disruption. And that's, a, that's evidenced by, by Juniper Networks. They've been the first to kind of bring this AI ops within the networking, the wired and wireless networking to the marketplace. And they have gone from, you know, effectively new entrants with their acquisition of, of missed technologies all the way up to the market leaders ahead of those, those um, behemoths that have been there for the last 10 years. And that journey to go from, from the bottom left-hand corner all the way to the top right-hand corner of the Gartner Magic Quadrant is, is, is staggering. And that was Sean Nolan from Agile Networks. You can read more about the report's findings at agilenetworks.ie forward slash techbeat. And of course, that link in the show notes on your podcast player right now. That's it for our show for this week. Do remember you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more via our website at techcentral.ie. And of course, you can listen to us each week online or Fridays with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes and from Niall Kitson, as always, have a great weekend. Talk to you soon. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.